You're listening to Veeam Partner Perspectives with Eric Doherty. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening in. Today, we're going to talk about quite possibly the most popular topic in technology. It's on the news regularly. It's in pop culture. We're seeing the impacts in every vertical out there with government, healthcare, and education seeming to be popular targets, but far from being the only ones. Of course, I'm talking about ransomware. More specifically, today we're going to talk about cyber insurance and its place in the world of ransomware and cyber attacks. Joining me today is Gil Vega, Beam's Chief Information Security Officer, a longtime security industry veteran with decades of experience in both public and private sector. Gil, thanks for being on the podcast. Can you share a little more about your background? I sure can, Eric, and, and thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this um, conversation. You talk a lot about my, uh, my experience, but that experience comes with a lot of scar tissue, um, managing through um, you know, multiple uh, complex uh, cyber incidents in both uh, government and the private industry. My, my background traces to, uh, to D.C., uh, where I was a federal executive, uh, I was the uh, I was the first CISO at Immigration and Customs Enforcement when Homeland Security stood up. I moved around a little bit into the DoD, Intel space, Department of Energy, Nuclear Weapons Complex, and um, you know spent about 15 years uh, managing uh, you know complex cyber counter espionage and technology programs in DC and. Uh, 2013, I, I left uh, that wonderful world of government behind and went into um, went into financial services, where for six years I was a CISO at a uh, pretty significant, uh, systemically important financial uh, market utility. Um, and I've been at Veeam now for uh, for about a year and a half. Uh, my first go around a software company, and uh, I love being here. Well, we're glad to have you. It's uh, it's definitely added a, a welcome element to how we approach our business as you know at this point i think we are all beginning to understand that everything has to do with security so it doesn't matter what your company is what your industry is security should be first and foremost so i'm going to start you with a a simple question here so when we talk about cyber insurance who should have it and why should they have it yeah that's uh Boy, that's a that's a great question. Let me let me go back to simple uh, question, hard answer. <laughs> let me go back to something you just said about cybersecurity being top of mind for uh, for most companies, and I, I, I'm sorry to say that it's not. Um, it should be, and coming from uh, you know a significantly large, huge market cap public company, I can tell you that for companies operating in that space. Uh, cybersecurity has become the number one operational risk that they're trying to manage through. Um, but obviously, one size doesn't fit all. And uh, I think what you're seeing in the news is uh, a lot of effects um, for companies in the cyberspace that, that are private companies, that are small companies, that don't have a lot of resources to manage this problem. And uh, unfortunately, um, I think our adversaries uh, in an ever-changing threat landscape for cyber are, are really targeting uh, those smaller companies because they understand that perhaps security isn't the first thing everyone wakes up and thinks about uh, in the morning. So um, I think that's an important part uh, point to make. In terms of who should have cyber insurance, let me, let me just say that cyber insurance today is a nightmare of complexity. Um, you know, 15 years ago, I think people thought that this industry would grow up to a point 
of maturity that it would make it easy for program managers, for CEOs, for boards to answer that very question you asked me. I think it's gotten a lot more difficult. Um, and, the, and the complexity uh, ranges from types of coverage to you know, understanding in a quantifiable way what your internal risk is uh, and how that's associated with cyber risk. You know, deconflicting existing uh, liability and general coverage policies in a, in, a, in a cyber world can just be mind-numbing. Um, and the insurance companies, quite frankly, haven't made this much easier. In fact, they're making it harder for companies to, to decide whether or not they want to cover themselves, whether or not they want to share the risk of cyber with an insurance company, or whether or not they should just self-insure. So it's a minefield, and I don't envy anyone who's going through this for the first time. I've been through underwriting uh, many, many times. It's, it's almost akin to sitting on a grand jury and swearing an oath and being questioned by you know, 30 uh, global underwriters uh, about your program. But um, it's, it's, not a, it's not an easy process. Uh, I think there's gonna be pain associated with that first round of underwriting. And it's going to take uh, a significant understanding, not only of your own, your own internal cyber risk that you're trying to manage in a quantifiable way, but an understanding of how uh, insurance and the broad scheme of the uh, overall insurance market, um, how cyber insurance works in that context. Yeah. So would you say that that based on all this, it's, it sounds like what you're saying is that while the perception seems to be, or the, you know, the see the phrase you always hear when you see these big attacks as well, insurance is going to pay it. It sounds like number one, the, the world is woefully underinsured for this. And two, the insurance companies are getting smarter, faster than their customers are as to what and how they'll insure. Absolutely. And, you know, 2021, um, cyber crime, I think is predicted to top six trillion, right? That's, that's trillion with a T, which means that if that was an economy, that would be the third largest economy on the globe. Wow. Um, and that's that's expected to rise, uh, you know, by 2025 to a to a figure. I think that right now is estimated to be 11 trillion. So it's it's essentially going to double in the next, uh, you know, five or so years. So so the threat is only getting. Um, you know, more and more uh, real to companies and governments that are trying to manage this risk. And look, insurance companies are out there to make money. Um, you know, they're growing much more skeptical about their ability to handle this uh, this this glide path of cyber risk. It's uh, if you look at the statistics, and I just looked them up this morning because I had to uh, you know renew my understanding of where the industry is on this specific point, but most insurance companies that are writing cyber policies are a break-even proposition. They're here to make money, but they're breaking even on cyber insurance. Oh, wow. You know, because of all of the breaches, because of all of the, um, all of the ransomware attacks and, and, and those kinds of things. And they're trying to manage it by raising, uh, raising premiums. Uh, rates are increasing in some cases between 50 and 100%. While retentions or the, the deductible, if you will, that companies are going to pay are also, you know, are also rising. So if, you, if you've got a cyber policy and you've got a six, say, six million dollar retention, um, insurance company is not going to pay you a dime until you've reached that retention limit. And, and those retention limits are only, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're continuing to, uh, to rise. Um, 
So if you, if you think about the fact that these companies are in it to make money, they're not making a lot of money. They're being much more prescriptive in terms of the types of controls that companies need to have in place before a policy will be underwritten. Um, you can you can understand how that's just added to the complexity of uh, the insurance market. So it's it's getting more like if you can't meet the criteria, we're not going to insure you. Whereas, you know, I, I always think because I, you know, my limited experience with insurance is, you know, around my home. If I'm in four accidents this year, my insurance company is going to drop me, but I'll probably find somebody out there that will do it at the most ridiculous premiums out there um, if I really have to have it. And I guess, number one, is that what's happening? Or are you just seeing people just say, if you can't meet this criteria, nobody's going to insure you're, you're basically uninsurable? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're seeing that happen exactly as you described, right? Um, if, if, if insurance companies can't establish through the underwriting process that you don't, you haven't taken a due diligence approach to cybersecurity, um, chances are they're not even offering the policy, right? Uh, from their perspective, um, they can't recoup uh, the cost of a potential claim by doubling, tripling, or quadrupling your your premiums, right? If you're in such bad shape that an insurance company won't offer you a policy, um, then certainly they're not just going to uh, willingly charge you more for it because they know what's going to happen, right? And it's it's the way it's the way today's CISOs manage. It's it's a, it's a philosophical standpoint that I've had for some time, having worked in government and seen sophisticated uh, nation state sponsored tax since the early 2000s. It's not a question of, of if a company is going to be breached. It's a question of when. And insurance companies certainly understand that. Um, and, and we've seen where um, we've had significantly sized, significantly resourced companies around the globe become victim to ransomware attacks. Right? These companies thought that they were managing sophisticated, well-resourced, well-funded, well-led cyber insurance, uh, I'm sorry, cybersecurity programs only to still be breached, right? So that's um, that's really where all these companies are headed. We've got to understand that um, uh, we've got to remain a, uh, maintain a healthy dose of skepticism about our own cybersecurity capabilities. And, uh, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying is, uh, what I'm not saying is we're just going to lay down and let these things happen, obviously. Right. Um, our focus from a cybersecurity perspective needs to be on resilience and recovery. So the ability to quickly establish um, services in the face of a cyber attack have become increasingly important over the last 10 years um, because of the almost, you know, fatalistic inevitability of breaches in today's cyber threat environment. Yeah. And that's, that's how I approach it when I talk with partners and customers is it's not an, if it's a, when, you know, use the assumed breach model and, you know, but like you said, don't give up, do everything you can know that at least you're doing everything you can, you know, at least you can rest from that component of it. There's always going to be that little bit of you that can't rest at night because, you know, somebody's going to get it someday and you're sitting there trying to figure out how, uh, which is the best thing you can do is sit there figuring out how somebody else is going to get in so that they don't get in. Um, Here's a question for you. The, when a company is attacked, what are the odds that they're breached again with a, like a ransomware attack? Because I always feel like when you start to see these things on the news, I'm like, oh, well, okay. There's, you know, wait, how long till number two? Because I feel like once everybody in, in the public knows that they've, they're vulnerable, how quickly are they fixing these vulnerabilities? Are people out there, 
you know, it's like, okay, they've already proven their week once. How strong have they gotten in the last 45 days? And do they get attacked a second time? What's, what are the, do you have, do you know any statistics on that? Or have you heard anything or am I just thinking anecdotally here? I think, um, I think the answer I want to give you is that ransomware attacks have been industrialized. So, you know, the gangs that are running these attacks, mm -hmm. uh, our government, unfortunately, hasn't been able to impose real risks on the people running these attacks, these groups running these attacks, because mm -hmm. largely, you know, they're Eastern European, they're inside the, you know, the former Soviet Union, Moldova, Ukraine, uh, Russia itself, uh, China, and some countries where there isn't a whole lot of prosecutorial cooperation or extradition to the United States. So there's very little risk imposed on the gangs that are um, that are attacking uh, our companies. And, and, you know, there used to be an idea in U.S. government when I was there. I was part of the White House um, Interagency Cyber Policy Group back in 2011 um, that, you know, in, during the Obama administration, there was a clear red line that, you um, that if these groups attack U.S. critical infrastructure, that the U.S. response to that could potentially be kinetic, right? We could mm -hmm. be firing Tomahawk missiles if it was such an impact as to, you know, endanger um, uh, life in this country. Yeah. Well, what you're seeing now is, is a wholesale onslaught uh, against U.S. critical infrastructure, colonial pipeline, uh, U.S. government agencies, the financial sector, um, and... The, it, it, and it's almost with impunity that this uh, that this is happening. I think I think unless and until we're able to impose risk on this lucrative trade, uh, this problem is only going to get worse. They I, I use the word industrialized because they've industrialized it to the point that they're creating ransomware as a service. They're selling it on the dark web. Yes, um, you know, I've seen that. You know, <laughs> the more cynical of us truly understand that cyber insurance companies. Are, uh, are being breached for their list of covered and insured entities, right? So um, so it acts as a roadmap for some of these groups to go and attack companies that they know have cyber insurance, that they know have, uh, you know, ransom negotiation services, and that they know will pay. A, a, yeah, guaranteed a, payouts, right? Guaranteed payouts. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And that's, well, that's an aspect I hadn't even thought of is go, you know, the people that think they're the most protected could end up being the most vulnerable because of their protections. Well, you know, I, um, I think I used the word nightmare of complexity. You, you're starting to get a picture of what that is. Yes. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's a lot to wrap your heads around. And I can see why, you know, things have changed. You know, it's, it's, it's not walking up to your insurance agent saying, I'd like one cyber insurance, please. It's really, you know, how, how do you start peeling this massive, messy onion, um, to even get yourself to a point where you could even consider yourself um, ready for it. And I guess then there's the other side of it too. Um, once you've done all of that is it, and, and invested all that in doing all those repairs, is it always worth even just getting the insurance then? Because you've already done so much work. Do you, you know, where's, where's that risk line fall when you're, uh, you know, a middle-sized company, maybe not the, you know, not the, not the, the big companies out there, not your Fortune 500s, but just, you know, little regional company that, you know, invests a lot of money in security to do all the things that, that the insurance companies and everybody wants them to do, but then go, you know what, after all this, is it worth paying for the insurance still? You know, that's a, that's a great point. And, 
I have to apologize, Eric, because I've been pretty negative about cyber insurance, and I, I don't want anyone listening to, <laughs> to this. Okay, I'm not an insurance agent, so I don't take it personally. <laughs> I don't want anyone to think that I've uh, that I've ruled out cyber insurance. We have we have cyber insurance here at Veeam, right? Sure. That process, and uh, it's an important process, and uh, it's important for uh, you know for key stakeholders, for shareholders. It's often important for radio regulatory bodies to, to, to have a cyber insurance policy. So there's lots of reasons to have it. Um, I think for the small and medium sized business, there's, there's an added component um, of value add related to cyber insurance policies. You know, big companies um, like Veeam, companies I came from, even the US government, prepare for worst case scenarios, right? We run war games, sometimes these are quarterly. Um, we have uh, we have ransom negotiation uh, processes already set up. We've got playbooks, you know, ad nauseum on different scenarios related to potential cyber attacks. We've got break glass capabilities to augment our cybersecurity uh, services with third party vendors. Uh, all we have to do is pick up the phone 24 hours a day. We can have more boots on the ground to help us manage through these. That's I think that's a um, that's a luxury that larger companies who, who have invested millions in cybersecurity, internal cybersecurity programs have. Uh, medium or small sized businesses don't. And I think this is one of the value propositions that cyber insurance really offers. Everything I just mentioned um, can be covered under a cybersecurity policy. So if you don't have break glass augmented incident response capabilities that you've let a contract for and, and are prepared to leverage uh, cyber insurance can cover that. If you don't have public relations teams standing by with, you know, with, with holding statements to be released in the event you're breached, cyber uh, security insurance can cover that. Uh, if you don't have uh, legal representation, the outside counsel specializing in breach response, uh, like many big companies have, cyber insurance can cover that. So there's a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of really valuable services that are offered up in a cyber insurance policy for those companies that aren't able to resource this area, uh, as well as, as large companies. So I think, uh, you know, from a, from a value perspective, that's, that's where I see personally the value for companies that are uh, engaged in um, obtaining an underwritten cyber insurance policy. That's, that's interesting. And I, again, you know, cause I'm not from that world. I don't think of those sorts of things. That's, that's a whole level of services that, yeah, take that small middle-sized company and allow it to act like one of the big players should they need to, instead of just being stranded out there. That's, that's a great, that's a great aspect. Um, are there regulatory requirements right now for cyber insurance or, or, you know, are there certain industries that are required to have some sort of an insurance or is it more about the processes and procedures and the insurance would just kind of be like at your discretion, but regulatory bodies say you need to at least be doing this much. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. The, um, the regulatory bodies, and I have experience with regulatory bodies in Europe, uh, Asia and the United States, um, having come from financial services that acted that operated in global jurisdictions. The, the regulators want to understand how your overall risk management program is operating. And um, there's not a hard requirement that I'm aware of that, that requires regulated entities to engage in the underwriting process and find a policy. Um, but what our examiners in the past have wanted to understand is how we arrived at decisions pertaining to 
how we're going to insure ourselves versus how we're uh, how we're going to self-insure. So um, a deep understanding of the way a company manages risks, particularly in cyber, is much more interesting to global regulators, especially U.S. regulators, than um, than sort of this binary decision of whether or not you've uh, decided to you know bind a cyber policy or not. Okay, so it's yeah, it, you, you've done all the work, may you know, see if it's feasible to make the next step, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah to boil it down to way too simple terms. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if, I, if I'm if I'm a regulatory examiner and I, I walk into a highly regulated company and I ask the question, "Hey, have you guys considered cybersecurity insurance?" and the answer is no, uh, there's gonna uh, that's gonna that's gonna be a, a red flag for me. Right? Flags and flares everywhere. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't considered cyber insurance, then then clearly your risk management process isn't probably fulsome enough to satisfy any regulator globally. Very, very good point. And that, that brings me to what a lot of our partners, the ones that I've been speaking to lately, are starting to get into. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it more. And that's really the, uh, the auditing preparation and mitigation for companies that want to get insured. And it's, you know, it's a newer process and it's not really like there's one standard list of things i'm guessing that that every underwriting group has their own list of requirements that are similar but not same but if i were a partner and wanted to start doing this more as a practice what kind of recommendations would you have yeah i think um i, I think i've outed myself philosophically in the 20 minutes we've been talking <laughs> the answer is going to be pretty obvious i think and that is um focus on cyber resiliency right focus on uh, companies building capabilities to withstand and recover from an existential um, attack, cyber attack. Now, um, our partners, I think, are in a really um, interesting position because you know Veeam is not a cybersecurity company, and, and I like to uh, joke that it's not a cybersecurity company yet. Uh, I'm cybersecurity, obviously, but uh, our products really complement a uh, a strategic cybersecurity program implementation, right? If you think about a cyber breach, for the most part, it's all about the data. It's all about securing the data, protecting the data, restoring the data in the event of an outage. Now, you know, ransomware attacks are much more pernicious in that, uh, you know, only half of the intended target is to uh, is to encrypt your data and hold it ransom. The other half is to steal that data. Uh, and blackmail you with its release. So that's 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 an area where I think there are solutions that still need to be obviously uh, identified. But from a from a resiliency and restoration perspective, uh, my experience with the Veeam product suite is that our products are better than uh, than any out there in terms of instant, reliable, um, immutable backup and recovery. Uh, that allows companies, and we've, we've, we've worked with companies, multiple companies who have been victims of, of ransomware attacks that have been able to restore uh, their data uh, seamlessly and quickly. Um, so, so I think I think Veeam partners are uh, probably have a leg up on other, um, other situations where restoring that data isn't as uh, fulsome, instantaneous, or um, capable. And I think having these companies focus on it, when I talk to CISOs of our uh, customer companies, this is what I talk to them about, making sure that you have 
Soup to Nuts Cybersecurity Resiliency Program and using the Veeam product suite to recover from anything you can imagine. And there's a deep understanding in that community that many companies just simply need to up their game when it comes to um, cybersecurity, right? And, and, and when, I, when I say that, I don't mean go out and spend a billion dollars on your cybersecurity program. But remember, these gangs that are attacking us, Eric, you know, they've got strategic plans. They've got headcount. They've got to pay. They've got expenses. So I saw the, some of our colleagues just put out, they're putting out job applications online now they, they, they become a code for them it's like wait a minute how, how can they do that and people aren't knocking on their doors to you're battering them down to arrest them yeah yeah they, you know, they, these are huge these are huge operations that automate their uh, their process and if you can raise uh their cost of doing business then there's a good chance they'll move on to someone who's not in the same position it's a it's the joke about the bear in the woods and the guy bending down and hiding his sneakers right yeah. I don't have to outrun you. I just have to out. I don't have to outrun the bear. I have to outrun you. It's, it's exactly a similar approach in cyber. So, um, you know, just to just to put a finer point on that, let's not let's not let perfect um, be the enemy of good enough when it comes to cyber programs. But you know, there's a basic level of uh, you know minimal uh, effort that needs to be made in this area and. If you've got a sound internal risk management practice that can help identify your risks, I think you'll be able to, you know, invest uh, invest your money wisely and focus on the things that need to be protected most. It sounds like some of the things that that the partners could do, or especially I, I find that a lot of times, and and in my past I've seen it, you almost become, end up being like their. Um, counselor or therapist sometimes because you get the groups in the room. It's like you're doing group therapy. It sounds like one of the best things you can do is make sure that the data center team that's doing the backups is in communication with the security teams about these sorts of things and those risk teams, whereas they may not, people kind of don't think of them all together sometimes. Because I remember one conversation I had with somebody at a security conference where I talked about Office 365 backups and they looked at me and go, what do you mean it's not backed up? Like that was news and the guy literally walked away picking up his phone to talk back to the to the collaboration team back at the office he's like what do you mean it was something he didn't think to ask because he assumed because when it was on prem it was backed up now it's not by default you have to do something so it's really making sure all those folks are at the table and all their cards are out on that table so that they know what each group can and can't do yeah this uh there's sort of a natural bifurcation in most companies between uh, IT and the folks that are responsible for backup and security. Um, I think I think the gap is being bridged, and I think one way to bridge that gap is to bring these groups together, um, you know, through through a wargaming process, right, where you're table topping some scenarios, and I think you'll have um, you know lots of oh crap moments um, <laughs> that come out of those conversations, and those are good, right? Those are yeah. I'd rather have them there. It's a lot better to talk about them in an exercise than it is at three o'clock, you know, on a Friday yeah. morning uh, uh, during a long holiday weekend. Yeah, yeah, I've I've been there in prior years, bef way before all this, but I've been there and pulled the forty-hour shifts to get things working again. Uh, unenjoyable, and uh, you know, now knowing knowing what I know now, if I'd known it twenty some years ago, everything would have been very different. But people didn't know back then. So, Gil, any uh, parting wisdom for folks as they're looking to go into, um, you know, to, to think about not only the insurance itself, 
but really what it takes, what they should do and where to get started if they feel like they're looking, you know, at a blank page as they're talking to a customer and the customer's like, we need help where to start and, and get the ball rolling for this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, from, from a, from a, from an insurance perspective on the cyber side, it all, it all starts with education, right? You've got to make sure that you're on, you, you, um, you understand the issues, you're educated about the products. Um, you know, you've got a good broker that can explain things to you and help you make cost benefit based decisions, right? There are, there are a lot of, uh, you know, a good example of why you need to educate yourself is the, is the very nature of some of the exclusions that some of these cyber policies uh, mandate. You know, there's still a court case uh, in, uh, in Europe and the U.S. that involves, um, uh, you know, Mondelez and Zurich Insurance. Um, their $100 million uh, cyber insurance claim was denied because the insurance company attributed the attack to a nation state and then pointed to the act of war terrorism exclusion in their insurance policy. So, oh, wow. you know, so that's still, that's still in court. I think, I think Mondela is expected to get a hundred million dollar claim, uh, processed relatively headache free and the insurance company is saying, uh, no. So, you know, paying lots of money going through the underwriting process, to book an insurance policy only to find out that the exclusions will limit uh, your availability of filing a claim is not the way you want to do this. So having, you know, having a knowledgeable broker to help you through that process, I think is, uh, is incredibly important. And frankly, my experience shows that insurance companies that are still writing these cyber insurance policies really want to understand whether or not you get it. Right. Whether or not your board gets it, whether or not your CEO has put enough emphasis on this uh, on this area, and, and they're looking for cyber hygiene. Are you engaged in a best practice based cybersecurity policy? And if you are, chances are you'll be able to book a policy. I mean, there may be some recommendations they'll make. Right? They won't let a policy unless you move to, let's say, multi-factor authentication across all of your applications. Right? That's that's, that's not an insurmountable additional requirement for most companies to, um, to take on if you really want to get a cyber policy. But I think, I think insurance companies are still willing to have conversations. And if, and if you can demonstrate that you're focused on the right things, um, you'll be able to get policy for sure. You're going to have to invest in it and in them as much as they're investing in you or else it's, it's not going to work. And, and the bottom line is the money you're investing to get that policy really is investing in your own company. So why wouldn't you want to do it anyway? Exactly right. Yeah. Gil, I, I thank you for, for joining me for this. This has been really insightful for me, and I'm sure it will be for everyone else. A um, lot, of, lot of interesting things that I would have never thought of because I don't do what you do. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Eric, it was my pleasure. I had a blast, and uh, I think we should do it again. There's so much more to talk about. Absolutely. I am all for it. So that will do it for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, where you can find our shows now. This has been Veeam Partner Perspectives with Eric Doherty. Thank you for listening.